Welcome to the Dr. Sex Fairy Podcast. I am Dr. Kaval Bhava, America's favorite sex doctor, and I am here to transform your life. Today we are discussing sexting. It is often seen as something very dirty. But is it really? Can it be good for a relationship? My guest today is Dr. Michelle Druin, who is a professor of psychology at Purdue University, Fort Wayne, and senior research scientist. She conducts research on sexuality, interpersonal relationships, and technology. Her book, Out of Touch, How to Survive an Intimacy Famine, was released recently, and I have waited months to speak to her. Welcome, Dr. Druin. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Baba. Thanks for having me on your show. So let's start with the very basic question. What is sexting? Sexting is the sending of explicit material via some type of digital communication device. That could be words, it could be photos, it could be videos, even live sex streams where you're you know, communicating with a partner via a video call could be considered sexting. So it's a pretty big umbrella. Now, is it usually teenagers doing it or adults as well? So a lot of the research focused initially on teen sexting. People were all up in arms, are teen sending this? And actually, I think the most sexting occurs among young adults because what you have in young adulthood is freedom from kind of parental guardianship. <laughs> people have a little bit more spare time. And then also just this is the time when people are most sexually active. You have a rising of mobile phone use that occurs and there's like this standing wave of high cell phone use at around young adulthood. And then you also have a lot of sexual exploration. And although you might have more sex at different times of your life because you have a more committed partner, it's certainly a time of sexual exploration where people are exploring who they are, you know, who they like, what they like. So I think young adulthood is really the time when people are sexting the most often. And it tends to peter out a little bit as couples get more committed. We've studied sexting. My my co-author, Brandon McDaniel, and I have looked at sexting as people get older. And really, they're much more likely to send messages like, can you pick up some milk? Then, you know, how are you going to do me tonight? So <laughs> sexting really does take on a different flavor in adult committed relationships. Well, that's true. The nitty gritties of everyday life seem to get in the way of some good fun sometimes. So <laughs> they absolutely do. So I was just wondering, how many adults are doing this? In a study that we did, I think about five years ago, it was actually pretty low. I think it was about 10% of married adults. And I think their average age was in their 30s. I think for people who didn't grow up in a digital generation, it wouldn't be as natural for them to send sexting photos to each other. But for younger generations, I mean, more than half of my young adults are sexting. So not only are they saying I've sexted, they've sexted with 30, 50 partners. And these aren't clinical samples of people who have, you know, psychological issues. These are just normal adults who are in college classes who are saying, yeah, I sexed and it's a regular part of the way I initiate relationships and maintain relationships with my partners. And remember, you know, the umbrella of sexuality has certainly expanded over the past couple of decades. So we no longer have you're in, you're either single or you're in a really committed relationship. 
now there's this entire rainbow of romantic connections. So you can have one night stands and you can have friends with benefit relationships and you can have polyamorous relationships and you can be non-sexual. You know, you have all of these different options that I think when I was growing up weren't really considered. So as we look more and more into the research on different types of sexuality and how sexting is used, you can see that it is a way to maintain all kinds of relationships. So just to clarify, what are the different forms of sexting? People could be sending uh, sexually explicit, you have no doubt that (laughs) this is a sexting photo, like nude or nearly nude photos are one of the ways that we distinguish it in the literature. And those are like traditional sexting photos or videos, and then just really sexually explicit words, delineating maybe what someone wants to do sexually. And those are types of sexing. But then we've also asked people about like just romantic communications. And although that might necessarily be considered under the umbrella of sexing, depending on your definition, it could be. And depending on the couple, that could be as well. So you also have things of more of a romantic or suggestive nature, And sometimes, depending on the definition, people include those too. Can sexting actually be good for an adult relationship? I've been trying to figure this out for years. (laughs) Years ago, when I first started doing the sexting research, there was an article that came out that basically suggested this could be used for couples who want to reignite their sex life. So let's say a couple comes into a therapist and they're having sexual dysfunction or they're just feeling disconnected sexually and they want to spice up their sex life or they want to have a stronger intimate relationship. One of the people who wrote an article on this years ago said maybe sexting could be used for these couples. It could maybe increase their intimacy. And they did this very small scale study and said, look, it increased this type of intimacy in these couples. But then years and years of research where my colleagues and I, we, I did a paper with Adam Gallivan and Brandon McDaniel, and we looked at sexting profiles of adults who all, they all had at least one child and they were in committed relationships. So it didn't have to be a marriage, but it had to be some type of committed partnership. And we put all of these variables into an equation. So positive things like um, sexual satisfaction, marital satisfaction, life satisfaction, uh, and then a couple of negative things like conflict and porn use and argues over technology. And we wanted to see when we throw these all into this big model, what are the characteristics that really are related to sexting? And they did some really complex analyses. These co-authors I work with are pretty spectacular. And they found that there are people who sexed a lot in their relationships. So there are some adults who are in marriages who sexed a lot. And there are some that sex very little. And there are some people who are kind of in the middle, some who only send kind of words. And so these are like word-only sexers. Anyway, so we ended up with these four different profiles of people who sexed. And what they found was actually the only thing that these frequent sexters had that was positive was more sexual satisfaction. But there were a host of really negative things that were also related to sexting, like conflict, ambivalence in the relationship, meaning like they didn't, they weren't sure if they were going to stay or go. 
they also had more conflict over technology use. There was usually more porn addiction. Um, so, and more anxious or avoidant attachments and more attachment issues in the relationships. So even when we've done some pretty complex analyses, hoping to find, hey, maybe there are some benefits for some couples, it doesn't really work out like that. So Although I would say the focus has been in the literature more on the negatives associated with sexting, what I will also say is statistically that's what emerges. So it's not necessarily that a researcher goes in thinking sexting is bad and I'm going to prove it. We just want to see what's related to sexting and some negative correlates often come out. I came across a study titled Reframing Sexting as a Positive Relationship Behavior which found that 88% of the participants had sexted. And it found that greater levels of sexting were associated with greater levels of sexual satisfaction for those in a relationship. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that sexting can be related to sexual satisfaction. But it sometimes, this, this study that you're talking about kind of looked narrowly at a couple of different factors, whereas the study that I talked about with Adam Gallivan and Brandon McDaniel and I, we looked at a whole host of factors and didn't just ask, you know, have you sexted or not, or how often you sexed. We really delineated between different kinds of sexting behaviors and let the data speak for themselves. So I'm really trusting in the process that my co-authors used in order to find what we found. So although there were some early suggestions that maybe sexting could be positive, I'm not really sure that it has any positive effect beyond some potential for sexual satisfaction increases. But as you know, sexual satisfaction does not necessarily mean that a couple is satisfied or that one is satisfied in their life. And I think those are the extra steps that kind of need to be looked at when you're examining the positives or potential positives for a couple. Have you noticed that people who sext also cheat more? Um, We didn't actually look at that in our study, but we did. There was another study that I did with Brandon McDaniel and another author of mine where we were examining online infidelity behaviors. So online infidelity behaviors are a host of things you could be doing online that you don't want your partner to know about. And so sexting could be one of those things, but as could just communicating, sharing kind of a a just an intimate relationship, even emotionally intimate relationship with someone online. And although it's not necessarily that people who sexed would be being unfaithful, um, when you are using the internet to do something sexy, you know, or romantic, then it does increase the likelihood that you would be less likely to show it to your partner. And I mean, infidelity is the, I guess the hallmark of infidelity is the fact that you're not showing someone or you're not sharing with your partner that this is what you're doing. So I think that what it does is it opens a potential avenue for you to communicate with others in a sexual way that's pretty covert. No one really sees it. And you can keep it quite hidden from your partner. So 
my my answer is kind of long and convoluted, but the point is, if you are sexting with people, it might be included as one of the unfaithful behaviors that can eventually, you know, come up in your relationship as a not so positive thing. There was that New York politician. I can't remember his name offhand. He lost his entire career over sending uh, penis pictures. Anthony Weiner. Anthony Weiner. Yes. What a what a what a sad name. For a man with his uh, yeah. proclivity, uh, how appropriate though! Yeah. So yeah. he lost an entire career over this nonsense, and his family. Yeah, and I I believe actually it happened twice. I mean, I think that he was sexting, and then he was sexting again. I, I I see the appeal in it. One of the things that I think, if people want to be unfaithful, but they don't they don't want to actually meet up with someone and they don't want to have actual sex with someone, then maybe sexting seems like a lower risk behavior. You obviously are not actually having physical sex. So you avoid chance of um, sexually transmitted infection. You avoid the chance of impregnating someone. Like there are a couple of things that maybe make it seem like a lesser risk. But the problem is, Once you send those photos, as anyone who has been caught in a sexting scandal can tell you, they're there potentially forever. The person who receives them has them, and now you kind of are at their mercy, which is why I think a lot of people have regret or shame associated with photos that they've sent in the past because they really don't know what's going to happen with those now that I'm like no longer with that person and you have to really have a lot of faith in your partner. It's interesting because that almost makes physically meeting up with someone a little less risky, provided you use whatever protections you'd like to use um, because you then don't have the evidence that could exist forever. So I, I mean, it's interesting to me when people get caught in sexting scandals because we know everyone is aware that the internet has this longevity and yet they still send these things to people that could be potentially really damaging. I I can see the appeal initially, but if people really think about it, it leaves, leaves, leaves a strong trail that is very hard to disappear. I mean, look at what happened to Jeff Bezos and more recently Adam Levine. Yeah, I mean, oh, they had, when I saw the things about Adam Levine, it, they're definitely, they definitely happen. It's interesting, though, because I do think it is so easy to do. It's really, people are attracted to novelty. People want new things. It activates this dopaminergic pathway in our brain where it floods us then with dopamine and dopamine feels good, as you know. So when we have something novel and sexually novel, it turns us on. And if anyone, like if your listeners think about the first time they were touched by their partner, the first few times they met up or had intimate moments with their partner, and they think about physiologically how that felt comparing to how they feel now. You know, if you've been with your partner for a month, a year, a decade, it just feels different because it's not as novel. It can still feel very, very good. And I think in a lot of ways, people's sex lives improve over the course of their relationship because they get to know each other as sexual partners. But those initial physiological reactions to novelty 
they really fade over time. So I think what these sexting kind of scandals illustrate is that people are looking for that novel sexual stimulation. They like new partners. They It awakens in them a feeling that they may not have with their existing partner. And people like to feel sexually attracted to others and feel that other people are sexually attracted to them. And it's really easy to find on the internet. Really easy. Your book talks about intimacy. So what do you think couples should do to enhance intimacy in a long-term relationship? Well, I mean, (laughs) intimacy, well, let me first describe intimacy. So intimacy is more than just sex. Intimacy, I think when a lot of people think about it, they think about having sex with someone. And it can be that. And I think sexuality is an important part of intimacy. But it's also social intimacy, you know, spending time together with friends, going out and doing things you enjoy. There's intellectual intimacy, you know, sharing your ideas with someone talking about intellectual topics there's experiential intimacy so having new experiences so there are lots of ways to keep an intimate connection with a long-term partner sexual intimacy is actually something that's really important to a lot of people Many, many people who are in long-term relationships go through ebbs and flows in terms of their sexual attraction to their partner, their sexual activity with their partner. As we get older in relationships, sexual activity tends to go down for a lot of reasons. Some are biological. So our bodies may not respond in the way they did before. Um, They just, things that used to feel good may not feel good anymore as people age. But also it's habituation. You know, the more I'm accustomed to this partner, maybe the less it excites me. I think in order to keep sexual intimacy in a relationship, couples just have to really make a commitment that that's something that they value in their relationship. And some people don't. Some people actually, their sexual intimacy is a small part of what makes them function as a couple. For other people, it's really important, but it's a discussion I think that couples need to have with each other so they can establish, you know, this is what we believe in terms of the importance of a sex life. And this is how we're going to commit to it and make sure that we meet those goals, just like any goals. It could, it could just be like savings goals or, you know, amount of time we're spending together as a family. You know, they had so many people have date nights. And I think if people committed to sex nights, like it, it, that would also be something that they could commit to, to strengthen their relationships. So I think that date nights are a good example of the commitments that couples tend to make to each other that they could do for sexual intimacy. But I don't just don't think a lot of people do it. Let's talk about boundaries. How does somebody set those boundaries of yay or nay? I'm okay with it or no, I'm not comfortable with this. I think the key to this is communication, like any relationship, whether the relationship is new or longstanding, people need to have open and frequent communications about what they do and don't want in terms of all of their sexual activity. And I consider sexting a sexual activity. It's not necessarily just a prelude to sexual activity. You know, they say that people sext for fun, for flirtation, and for foreplay. They're the three Fs of sexting, fun, flirtation, and foreplay. But there are lots of other reasons that people sex. And it's not necessarily 
a prelude to sex. It could just be a replacement to sex. It could be, hey, I'm thinking of you and therefore I'm going to say something sexy because I know that you like it and I like it too. So I think that these have to be early and often conversations. And if someone sends you a sexting picture or some words, you need to kind of evaluate where am I in this relationship? Do I feel comfortable and safe? Is this something I want to do? And if it isn't, then you say it. Like you can blankly say, I don't sext. From my perspective, actually, sexting is a little bit cliche. <laughs> I have I have a pretty strong opinion about it. Um, not only do I think it's pretty risky, and for anyone who wants to someday be in the public spotlight, it's just a, a very big potential negative. It's something that you could worry about if you knew that you were going to be subjected to public scrutiny. Um, But not only is it risky, but it also, I've seen so much sexting and I just think there's nothing that you've said or you could say that would be any different than what any 18-year-old says to anyone. (laughs) In fact, I remember reading about um, when Adam Levine's sex messages were being scrutinized on I think Twitter, someone said, by through reading these messages, I find I found out that I too sex like a 14-year-old boy or something like that. So like the content of these sex messages were even being criticized. And it just, I just think that there's there's a consistent theme through all of it. And so I think one way for people to say, I'm just not into it, is to say it's just really cliche. It's just there's probably nothing we can say to each other that hasn't been said before. <laughs> like I, <laughs> yeah. I, I find it all a little bit boring. Um, I, I'll, I'm going to say something too about romantic sexting in a second. But so I think just sexting in general, there are some consistent themes. They emerge often. Having looked at thousands and thousands of text messages and sex messages that people send to each other, for me, it just seems like there's nothing that anyone could say or send that hasn't been said or sent. Um, so that could be a good way to say to a partner, hey, like this traditional sexting thing doesn't really work for me because I just think it's so cliche. Um, however, let's say you're on the opposite spectrum and you really want that in your relationship. You could maybe send some sexy words. They don't necessarily have to be sexting, but like they could be alluding to the idea that you want to get sexual via your words first before you send a picture. I will tell you that nobody wants to receive an unsolicited picture of someone's penis. I mean, it's it it's almost, I think, shocking or offensive to a lot of women. So you have to, or men potentially as well, you have to kind of ease into that if that's what you want. So let me rephrase. I don't think nobody wants to receive them. There are probably some people who'd be exceptionally delighted. (laughs) However, it should be in your mind that this isn't something that I should just send right away. So I think if you want to have that, just easing people into it or saying, you know, I miss you and I want to see you and what kinds of things might we do tonight and asking them to maybe talk about it and seeing how comfortable they are will then help you understand boundaries. The other thing that I'd recommend to people if they want to sex is to use a channel where they can delete messages. You know, those destroy after reading apps, you think about Snapchat and things like that as only being used for kids. 
okay, but they're not only used for kids. And if you're going to send something that's highly sensitive, especially to a partner you don't know well, those destroy after reading apps might be the way to go. And I know that even now the apps like Instagram has a possibility of disappearing messages. Facebook has disappearing messages. So you don't even have to use Snapchat anymore. Almost all of the popular social media apps have that feature. So that's another thing I would suggest to people if you're going to sex to do it in a way um, that kind of assures you or gives you some assurance that the photo then disappears. But, or words you know, disappear. if you're quick on the uptake, you can take a screenshot before it disappears. Yes, you can. But I think when people send things using disappearing messages, um, they expect there's kind of like an unspoken expectation that people are not going to screenshot. They can do it, but oftentimes you get notified, like you do get notified in Snapchat unless someone's using some kind of external app. So I think that people generally uh, stick to those. I'm also talking about adult relationships. I'm not talking about teenagers here, but because teenagers are are not um well there are a lot of laws related to teenage sexting so i'm talking about adult sexting i just think a lot of adults in those apps would have expectations that the other person is going to respect it if they want that message to disappear yet you see revenge porn and all kinds of things you do i mean i don't know that revenge porn that that's often like someone sent it via Snapchat and someone screenshotted it. I think with revenge porn, what you often have are people who are in trusting relationships with each other and were using channels that did not have that destroy after reading feature. They trusted an individual and then that individual betrayed their trust. So I think that that's another reason. I mean, I think you probably know as someone who examines sex and examines relationships, we go into relationships thinking or hoping that they last for a long time or forever. I mean, we go in with pretty high hopes that they are great. But as you probably have learned through all of your studies, it's not all relationships are great. Some end and some end very badly. And I think people just need to kind of temper their optimism when they go into relationships so that they know that there's a potential that this could end badly. And if it does, do I feel secure that this person has my, as my, as my nudes, which actually I just did an interview for this, for an article in the cut, someone asked, is it okay to keep your ex's nudes when you break up? What do you think? I think it's probably best to delete those. Yeah. So what, what would be your reason behind it? Because there's no, there's no like socially accepted convention. There's nothing in society that says, here's the rule. So what makes you feel that way? I think if you're closing that book, if you're ending that chapter, I think it's best to do that. That's just my reasoning. Yeah. I said something really similar. I said, although there's no socially accepted convention, I think it does help you really close a chapter. I also, cause then I was asked a little bit further, well, how is it different? So I guess I'll post this to you to see where you land on this. How's it different than if a lover gives you a necklace or, um, a book, would you necessarily give those back? No, because and, it doesn't and, and compromise so, them. Yeah. 
Okay. That's, that's exactly what I said too. So that's, that's generally the way I feel. What I said was, it's almost like giving someone your diary to read. And then after you break up, they're like, I'm keeping it. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, wait a second. I was just actually, this, this was actually just on loan while we were together. You can see these deepest, darkest, intimate parts of me. I'm not expecting you to keep it forever. But yeah, so they interviewed a few of us and we kind of came out on different sides of the coin, but mine was the same as yours. I think that those are things that should be deleted when you break up with a partner. Yet many keep them as, uh, you know, participation trophies or something. They keep them because they like having them and they yeah, revisit either. those. Yeah. I've talked to people about that. Oh, have you? What have they said? They just see no reason to delete them. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, I'm from an older generation, so I'm going to be 49. So I'm not additional native. And I think maybe some of my views are not reflective of what millennials think. But I, I feel the same. I feel they should be deleted. I know that some people keep them maybe as trophies, but also as nice reminders of the relationship. Maybe, you know, it is a type of personalized pornography, which I always think is very interesting. The, the pornographic world really drives a lot of internet content. And I think that the sexting has this appeal because it not only is a pornography, but it's pornography that someone made typically just for you. And so it feels special. It's, an, it's, it's, it's a thrill, I guess. Visually, pardon? Yeah, I said it's a it's thrill. A thrill yeah. it's a, yes, it's visually interesting. And it is thrilling that someone did this entirely for you. So that personalized pornography, I think people are like, well, I'll just keep it as part of my collection. And then instead of viewing regular pornography, why not just revisit this? And, you know, it's probably sparks really good feelings of when you were sexual with that person. I understand why people might want to keep those photos, but I do think it's in the best interest of everyone to just delete them. Since you are an expert in the whole realm of sexting, let me ask you a question. Do sweaty gym selfies and bathroom selfies qualify as sexting if you're not seeing penises or vaginas? Yeah, I mean, so under the big umbrella of sexting, yeah, anything that is sexually explicit. So if I'm bending over and showing my cleavage, that could be sexting. If I um, have picked up my shirt and to show you my abs, that could count as sexting. So it really depends on what you're looking at in terms of your outcome measures. But I've included anything that is at all has a sexual tone as sexting. But there's another category of sexting like that I haven't really, that no one really does, but I think could be this entire sexting revolution. But like romantic sexting, which I said I'd want to talk about. I think that one of the things that I now kind of think about as sexting is just the flirtation that people have with one another. And it could be intellectually flirtatious. It could be um, just provocative. It could be sending quotes that have a romantic nature. And they are meant to excite. They are meant to be intriguing. Um, and 
a, a little bit romantic because you're heading down a kind of a level of intimacy, but they're not explicitly sexual. So I think that that would go in the same category as like the sweaty gym selfie, just something that's supposed to intrigue you, but not necessarily explicitly sexual. It's funny because I often joke that your relationship may not last, but herpes is forever. So now yeah. I guess I have to add that whole sexting thing to it as well. Your relationship may not last, but those texts will live forever. Exactly. I mean, I just gave this lecture to my students the other day. I was talking to them about syphilis and we were talking about, uh, we, well, we are also talking about herpes. And I was saying how, and I, I saying how these things do, you know, you, you have some things that are curable in terms of STIs, but some that are not. And I was thinking, I need to talk to them about sexting. And then I didn't <laughs> because it wasn't included in the slide. And I thought this is way too long of a conversation. And it almost sounds, uh, you know, it's not, it was, it would not have been traditional education the way that I wanted to educate my students. But really there is this entire line of research about it. I think the most concerning thing is that so many people sexed when they're uncomfortable. So like half of people have sexted in times when they were uncomfortable sexing. They still sent it, but they were uncomfortable doing it. And that feeling of discomfort then makes them feel later on traumatized, if especially if they didn't want to do it in the first place, particularly for women. So we asked women, this is actually really interesting. We asked women who had either participated in unwanted but consensual sex. So I don't know if you know this, but about half of people, if you ask them, college-age students and beyond, ha- will say that they've had consensual sex that they didn't want in the last couple of weeks. Really? So it's super common. Hmm. Yes. Who knew? Someone could have said, hey, you want to have sex? And they're like, Yeah but they didn't really want to have sex. They just did it. So I think it happens a lot in relationships. When people are in committed relationships, they have sex, but they didn't really feel it. They didn't really want it. I mean, I think it's really hard to synchronize your sexual rhythm so that two partners are always ready for sex at the same time, right? So I think it's probably more of just a misalignment in the rhythms of want more than just this person never wants to have sex with this other person. So I think that's where a lot of the unwanted sex comes into play. I then asked people, these men and women, have you had unwanted but consensual sexting? Meaning you did it, but you didn't really want to do it. And then I asked them, how traumatic was it at the time? And how traumatic do you find it now looking back on it? And the really interesting thing was that women, but not for men, had significantly more trauma now looking back on the event when it was unwanted sexting than they did for even unwanted sex. So they found both to be, you know, slightly traumatic, but over time that unwanted but consensual sexting was really traumatic for women in comparison to unwanted but consensual sex. And I think the reason why is because you have this photographic evidence and you're not comfortable. You didn't want it. You're not happy. This relationship probably ended and you didn't want to send the photo in the first place. Now we have a really great understanding of what sexting is. And I guess you might even call it the new first base. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
One of my colleagues who studied sexting in teenagers coined it the new first base, which I found terrifying because I thought, oh, I can't believe that this is the new first base. I really do think people just need to be very careful. Sexting is a really dangerous place and it, it causes or has the potential to cause some really serious harm when these photos or even words are used against a person. So although I think some people find it really exciting and fun, there's a big downside and that it could really be uh, negative in a person's life as well. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And I'm sure that our listeners want to know how to find you. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, people can follow me on Twitter at Dr. M. Druin or on Instagram at Dr. Michelle Druin. And I look forward to, you know, hearing from anyone who wants to talk about this, just instant message, like follow me and then you can get into my DMs and um, we can chat about these topics. It was great to talk to you today. It was so great to talk to you. Thank you so very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. If you learned nothing else today, learn this. If you want to stay out of trouble, watch what you type and be careful about the pictures you send people. Until next time. I hope you enjoyed the Dr. Sex Fairy podcast today. I would love to continue this conversation with you. If you would like to get in touch with me, email me at askme at drsexfairy.com. Don't forget to follow this podcast and leave me a five-star review. And make sure you follow my blockbuster hit TikTok account, Dr. Sex Fairy.